following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Quit tomorrow. Our programming would continue to run. Welcome to the Forbes Under 30 Podcast. I'm Steve Goldblum, your host. On this show, we speak with young entrepreneurs and innovators. And support from Forbes Under 30 comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Go to rocketmortgage.com. Rachel Sumek is founder and CEO of Swipe Out Hunger, a national nonprofit that partners with universities to end college student hunger. And she joins me here today. Rachel, hello. Thank you so much for having me. So can you walk us through how um, a student on campus experiences the program? Yeah. Uh, I'll start by saying one of our mottos, which is every college student has insecurities and we believe food should never be one of them. So I think it's one about breaking down the stigma. Like, we all are insecure, and, and feeling shame around food insecurity is horrible, right? So students who are in need are one, we coach schools on how to identify them. So, for instance, former foster youth or undocumented students or first-generation students or um, students who are eligible for Pell Grants, they've already been identified. There, there's questions on forms, and we encourage the school to first reach out to them. Secondly, we're big advocates for also leaving it open source. There's a lot of kids who are middle income who don't get any financial aid but are still in debt or struggling and making these sacrifices. So how do we make sure that anyone, a lot of our schools, like at UC Santa Barbara, as long as you apply, you can get a meal swipe, right? And you have to write a little piece. And we try and take people's words, but we really do keep it open. Uh, and then with our food, that's for the meal swipes mostly. And for our food pantries, we... We also encourage people to leave it open. I mean, you can go onto UCLA's campus right now uh, and walk into the, the food closet and grab what you need. And um, you'd be surprised that there's actually such a need that the stigma is no longer in the way. And our campuses are doing a really good job of dispelling that. So I was there a couple weeks ago and I saw maybe like 20 students within a half hour period walk in and out, if not more. And there's a woman who was walking out and kind of saw me standing there as if I was some sort of, like, someone who had to do something with bringing this food there. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, like, if I didn't know that this was here, I wouldn't have re-enrolled in school. Like, this is one of the reasons why. So thank you, God bless you for keeping this available for us. This is a huge support. And we have this guest book in our, um, in, in a lot of the food closets and the notes that people leave behind, how grateful, how in detail they go. They don't know who's going to read this, but they really express the gratitude for it. And I think that that's what it comes down to. How do we have people realize that these are just other students, that everyone kind of has these tough times and resources are there to help you? The cost of a meal is nothing. It's so small. But then the cost to society for having someone drop out of school, not get a degree, the impact that that has on them and their family is massive. 
So if there are any critics of our right. program, I think it's leveraging the cost of a food service program as opposed to the cost of one person dropping out. I mean, the cost of society of one person dropping out is equal to an entire year of us running a food program on campus. And how do you ensure anonymity of those who are enlisted in the program? Uh, for some of our schools where it's just open, students can walk in, grab what they need. Our chapter at Northwestern actually has uh, a, like a lunch, like a backpack program where they have before the breaks, you know, over spring break, dining halls are closed. And a lot of students don't have the funds to go home. Mm -hmm. So they provide food that anyone can just come and kind of say, I need this. And then some of our schools will want to at least track who's coming in and going and collect that data. So students will just swipe their cards. There's no, like, person check-in mm -hmm. or any of that. But it really does differ. Every school has their own rules. Swipe out hunger is something that you came up with when you were at UCLA. My friend came up with it. I okay. ran with it. You ran with it. Yeah. What happened to the friend? <laughs> he went to medical school. Okay. So, yeah, he was yeah. a nice Jewish kid. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You are first generation. Your parents emigrated here from Iran. Yep. True? True. You grew up in the valley? Grew up in the valley. 818 okay. all day. Okay. Great. And tell me about when this idea to leverage something that a lot of people take for granted, which is meal plans and just food in general came about? Yeah, we were students at UCLA, and I think anyone who's ever had a meal plan, had to live on campus, can relate to this in some way of feeling like a broke college student, and at the same time having this amazing resource of a meal plan, uh, where you have 15 or 20 meals a week, and you don't use all of them, and at the end of the semester, the only option you have is to blow them on all your friends or on pallets of food, and Swipe Out Hunger gives students another option, which is to donate them. So when your you and your friend mm -hmm. had the idea. So my the way it actually happened is well, my friend happen? Brian had this idea uh, and posted it on Facebook. He's like, "Who wants to get involved?" And I figured, "Why not? This sounds pretty cool." And I this is two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when we like really got it off the ground, and it just kind of went from there. Me just saying, I know how to use Photoshop. I can probably make your flyer. I've never really done volunteering and all of this. And I showed up on our first day when we were going to move pallets of food that students had donated and no one else really showed up. And so me and Brian, my friend spent five hours lugging all of this food across campus. Um, and, and we could have stopped. I mean, it was June. It was super hot and sweaty. Um, and in my mind, I'm like, great, no one else showed up. We'll just reschedule. And he's like, no, no, we have to do this today. And I think, like, for me personally, that was a huge – it was a great that that was my introduction to this work because it showed me that it's about hard work. And even if no one shows up, things don't go as planned. You recalibrate and you keep going. You live up to the word. We had to show the school we were serious about this. So we spent five hours moving this food across campus. What was the school's response to what you were doing? Um, they really didn't like us. I mean, what we were asking them for is that this bottom line, this cushion that they were getting, these tens of thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of dollars that they were otherwise keeping in their pockets, we were asking them to donate it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, even after the first rejection and the second rejection, when we got the program up, they still pushed back. I mean, every every quarter they would say another reason why we can't continue next year. What was it like food and safety problems? And yeah, I mean, like at first it was the like someone might maybe getting sick, and then once we moved past that and we were using actual dollars or using non perishable food, then the concern became logistics. Or um, I actually had a great conversation with one of the dining directors years later. And he said, my biggest concern was that some other school would hear that we were the school that let this happen. 
that we were the school that finally like opened the floodgates of students donating meal points, and they didn't want to have their head on the line um, should this become a thing. Isn't that so, crazy? Isn't that so crazy? That doesn't make like, any we sense. We fed like hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. and what would have stopped that? Is that recognition? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That our colleagues <laughs> Ending, might not like us. Interesting. Yeah. So that was the pushback, and but, but it's such a smart angle to take on on cornering them and saying, hey, this little pocket of revenue, you know, we're aware of it, and we're actually going to point it in a different direction. So, I, and, and it kind of, it makes their argument sound ridiculous. There isn't much of an argument. So at what point did they, did things change and the winds start going with you? Uh, there was one really big moment, which was in 2012, our senior year, when we were invited to the White House, and President Obama, God bless his soul, called us champions of change. And I mean, from that point, we're sitting there, I think it was like 21, 20, no, yeah, like, I don't even know what it was. And just seeing the president say that something that you and your friends are doing is worthy, right? And up until that point, our interpretation of ourselves was that we were kids breaking the rules. Like, right. that every day our program was on the line. And here was this intense, like, validation. I mean, talk about social proof. Was this right before he'd been elected a second term? Um, this was in March. So right before the, yeah, right before the November election. Wow, interesting. So yeah, at that time you're thinking like, we, this might be our only shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, would you be, uh, would you, would you accept an invitation from the White House right now? You know, I, uh, a lot of people have in their Twitter bios, like my tweets are my own opinion only. I'm a pretty vocal person. I don't think I would accept. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't go there. I would accept the award maybe on behalf of the organization. To, but to shine wouldn't. a light on the work. But yeah. Wouldn't I wouldn't tweet about it. Roam around the Eisenhower room with this guy. Mm, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> What was that experience like? Well, how much notice do they give you when the White House people mm. call? Well, I mean, where, where were you? What was that like? <laughs> Similar to everything you else the government does. No, I mean... I mean, when they called us and told us, we knew it was coming. We knew that, like, we were being considered. And then they gave us two weeks to show up. They did not fund any of our tickets. They did not fund any anything. So we're running around campus saying, hey, UCLA, like, a bunch of your students just got invited to the White House. You better buy us plane tickets to go and accept this award. <laughs> Again, shame. So, so, exactly. I mean, it's so all smart. About, yeah. It's not shame. It's about finding people's interest, right? What's the self-interest and for you? Weaknesses. And yeah. <laughs> And they have the resources, right? Of course. Um, so we ran to friends, family, the campus, and uh, raised enough money to fly all 15 of us out. Um, and there are other groups invited who only have, like, two or three people there. But I think it kind of reflected the grassroots communal culture of the organization. And that's, I think, a big reason why we're successful. What did Obama say to you? He said that if you remain idealistic as you get old, nowadays, when you meet an old idealistic person, people will call you crazy. But in fact, you're actually supposed to stay idealistic as you get older, because that's the only way things will change. So be okay with people calling you crazy, because... Someone needs to really believe that it's possible, and not just possible when you're 20, possible when you're 50 and, and whatnot. Did you literally just give back to me exactly what he said? Yeah, he actually. <laughs> That's incredible. I feel, like I, feel like I could hear his voice coming out of you. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, he was... Look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was on his uh, look, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, he was far more articulate, but I mean, the words that he said, even though it was just two or three minutes, really stay with you. And we'll be right back after this quick break. The Forbes Under 30 podcast is brought to you by LifeLock. Is your personal info for sale on the dark web? Monitoring your credit can't show you, but LifeLock sees a wide range of threats to your identity. If something happens, U.S.-based specialists can work to fix it. Go to LifeLock.com, use the promo code Forbes, and save 10%. We should mention that we're in person here. 
we usually yes. do all these interviews over the phone. So uh, no, yeah, that's a fact. No, I braced the four or five for you. Yeah, th- thank you. Yeah. We appreciate that. At what point then in – so 2012, does it really become a business where you are at the helm? And this other guy is off in medical school. Yeah, I mean, people always talk about... It was actually three of us together. One is now in Silicon Valley, a recruiter at Airbnb. One is an MD, MBA. And here I am, the one who said, you know, this is pretty awesome. I know we're all working our own full-time jobs. A year after we graduated, we were all just working on this after hours. And he said, I think that there's something more here. And I think that I want to step into this role. And I moved back to L.A. And, and walked into a Starbucks and called myself an executive director and then Googled what that meant. So I think, like, in, in some ways, I was a co-founder of the idea and the movement. And then in some ways, I'm the founder of the national nonprofit um, simply because I, I don't know. Nah. Well, you took initiative and said, I want to see this or I want to expand, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. And I think also asked, sure, it's a good idea. I think everyone has really good ideas. Um, but then just because, I mean, every day you read about a new app that's taking food waste and providing it to feed people, right? But just because there's one resource and there's one problem and you just put them together, doesn't mean you're actually solving the right. problem, right? To what end? So I think what I asked myself as a young, change-minded person was, how is my program actually going to end hunger? And we had, at this point, served like half a million meals, and hunger was still around. And so I said, how do we actually use this resource of extra meal points, of students, of campus infrastructure, to solve a problem? And that's where the issue of college student hunger really came to the forefront. We were supporting our fellow peers since day one, since 2010. That's kind of where we took the meals uh, once we got up. And there were so many studies coming out saying one in seven students across the country have been to a food bank, have like straight up gone and asked for help. And there's so much shame involved with that. So imagine the actual need of people who are settling for ramen every day. It's fine to have it sometimes end of the month. You go too crazy the night before and your tabs. Yeah, instead of just like saving up for a big weekend. Exactly, right? yeah, which yeah. is totally fine. Like <laughs> learn financial responsibility. Yeah, but, but people are really on financial assistance. And, exactly. Yeah. And so the same kid that from kindergarten through 12th grade was getting a free lunch ticket has now had all these amazing programs getting them to college but doesn't have those resources in school, actually has debt, actually is away from their family. And once they pay for tuition, once they pay for rent, food is the first thing to get cut. And that's often the thing that'll help them focus in class, help them be more engaged and do well. Did you take, when did you decide to go in 2012, I think you did, to Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. To go and mm-hmm. work with, you do social work. Yeah, essentially. I mean, How did that come about? <laughs> like many young people, I felt like I had to change the world. And if I wanted to really like test to see if I was about that life, I decided to go into the trenches and I um, moved. No, I moved to an okay, I moved to Lakeview, right by Wrigley Field, mm-hmm. but worked in Uptown, which is not that good of a part of Chicago, a very diverse part, um, and help people who are homeless get back on their feet. And it was a huge reality check for me, and I also realized that direct service wasn't my jam. I did not need to be in front of the person to feel like I was making an impact. Where I actually felt real purpose was after hours when we were working on swipes, and I would have a phone call with a student. And they asked a question, and I had the exact answer that they needed. And a week later, they would come back to me. And I've done all of this work simply because I gave them some guidance. And I'm like, holy moly, like, we can have a really, really right. big impact in the world if we democratize information and share resources and um, believe that young people can actually negotiate with the campus dining services. Right. It wasn't the payoff of the moment being in uh, that kind of validation that you were seeking. But when you... 
before you went into the Starbucks and declared yourself the ED, you um, did you did anybody caution you on on going and taking a leadership role? Yeah, um, I mean, there's always a lot of people who might question if that's a good choice for you personally, right? Like my parents as the founder. Uh, yeah. So I, I think like a lot of my, my, my Iranian Jewish community is like, Oh, like go to law school. You, you went to a great school. You can get a good job, get a good degree. So yeah. there's, there's like that constant influence that we think we always have to push back. And then, um, something that one of the people involved in our group said to me whenever I proposed this idea of me coming in was that he didn't think I was actually uh, a good leader. He thought, well, he, he said I was too nice to be too a leader. Too nice. Too nice. Okay. Yeah, that's God insulting. forbid we're nice yeah. to each other. Um, and I think it really made me reckon with how I saw myself, how I presented myself, and um, also what leadership meant. I think I'm still a really nice person. I think being nice is not a qualifier. It should not be a disqualifier for someone to be a leader. It lit a fire under you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I think right. I also spent that next year um, with that in the back of my mind of, am I qualified? Can I do this? And I really overdid it because of that. Um, I worked too hard, too many hours. I fell into the whole startup, um, make it your life and don't have anything outside of this going on, which I don't know, I guess wasn't effective because I also didn't have, I was 21 when I started this um, full-time, turned 22 a couple months later, and didn't have a bunch of advisors around me, and quickly started to seek those out. So that was a huge redirection of all that energy in the best way. It's interesting how like demoralizing comments like that can serve as a great motivator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think also as a leader myself now, I've learned how do I, even if I think someone might be um, not quite ready, experienced, or or experienced enough to step in, step into a role. How do you lovingly present that information to them? Um, how do you actually see why they they want to do that, and how do you support them? You were doing eighty to a hundred hours a week that first year. About eighty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not all at the Starbucks. <laughs> no. Now, do you, I'm assuming you don't work out of there. Where, no. where do you work out of now? We uh, are now. We actually just moved into a WeWork a couple months ago downtown in downtown Los Angeles, um, which has been pretty sweet. But we were in another co-working space in the Arts District downtown. Okay. Yeah. So it's been pretty cool to build something in community with others. I belong to one of those workspaces too, Noya House. Oh, You'll fancy. Know I know it's a little. It's a bit. It's a bit too fancy. Yeah. I wish it was a little less. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the, the but pe- I mean, like, are, are I go to literally Equi- dress from the future of the Civil War or something like that. <laughs> but I mean, so I go to Equinox, and it's not that I feel like I need to wear Lululemon every day. But you go there, and everyone's like so fit and so into it. So it inspires you. I got grandfathered you. in. I got a good rate, <laughs> and they have great. It's actually very nice. Like the sitting, sitting and everything. It's the uh, the human beings that sometimes bother you. But the um, <laughs> it inspires you to step up. Uh, yeah. No, but you know something about this, which I think anybody who's listening to what we're doing would be interested in, which is the networking stuff. Hmm. Meeting people. you People have said about you that you are really good at that. You come in and you're like prepared. You give yourself a pep talk. But you tell me you're the <laughs> one doing it. Yeah. Um, I have a very strong belief. If I can copyright this, if there's a lawyer out there who wants to start the IP on we this. have a lawyer in the back at all times. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in the corner eating cereal. No, no, no. He's, um, he's just I, a tech guy. <laughs> um, I have a very strong belief that Los Angeles specifically 
operates on a relationship economy. No one really cares about what, like, company you work at or where you worked or where you went to school even. They care about who you know and what that person says about you. So if you're able to walk into a room and authentically present yourself, like, be in touch, self-awareness, meditate, do all of that. Like, that's base level at this point, you guys. And then after that, be able to bring value, right? I think that the amount of time I spent refining what we do and why we do and how we do it allows me to come really powerfully to the table and present what we do. All of that said, I'm now a 25 Middle Eastern Jewish girl um, who's 5'11", just so you guys know, who is still, like, has a lot going against me when I walk into a room of, like, investment bankers or, like, white men. Sorry to use that word. I'm not Sorry. But as, like as people, you mean as a white cis yeah, male yeah, yeah. sitting, I'm not insulted. <laughs> but like by things, it. things that like we we identify with power, right? Sure. Um, and then feel like rem- like I, I don't know. I think reminding myself that wait, no, I, I do know who I am. I do bring value to the table, and anyone is lucky to kind of work with us. And That's so, right. And then giving myself that reminder before I walk into those rooms is what we all should be doing, right? Taking the moment to like taking the back the homework of knowing who we are and what we do. And then in the moment right before we walk into that room, reminding ourselves of that and being prepared to take that on is the trick. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Under 30 podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So true, the way that you carry yourself. Like my, my, my girlfriend will, will say that she's a very uh, you know, strong, smart person, but she said that, that if you act like you should be promoted, you will be promoted. Exactly. And I was told my whole life, like my friend reflected, that I should be nice, passive, submissive, make right. everyone feel good, which is, I mean, I think wonderful, right? I'm a very much proactive in, in acting and taking care of people, which is lovely. Um, and at the same time, that shouldn't mean that I can't have an opinion or mm-hmm. that I shouldn't feel confident in what I do. How has the business of... Do you, well, let's get back to that, actually. Do you find that people... Is there... When you're pitching and, and, and in business meetings, and let's start with the with the men, do you find that there's that there's sometimes uh, that they don't take you as seriously? To be honest with you, not necessarily. I think that in fact, being a young woman gives me a lot of um, leverage. And then I think what comes after that is even though I walk into the room and they're captivated by how charismatic or enthusiastic mm-hmm. um, what I do is, I think the doubt creeps in whenever they think, well. I don't know if I should get involved with this, right? Because I'm going into rooms with people to get their partnership. Mm-hmm. And if they're, if they're judging my ability in that moment, in my business savviness or my ability to scale 
or whatever it might be. I think that's where the questioning comes in and where I have to go kind of like over, like overwork that and really make sure that I'm prepared beyond what I need to be uh, to compensate. Right. Yeah. I think a study, I forgot which publication it was, but came out today saying like they recorded a bunch of VCs and their interpretation of men walking into a room pitching versus women was like dramatically different. Right. They said she's amazing. She's so smart. But I don't think that she's confident enough. Mm. Whereas with men, it was like, yeah. So I think um, the way it shows up is really differently. But the beautiful part is there's so much data out there that we can really use to be prepared. And the double standard on if you are decisive, that being interpreted as being hostile. Totally. Or like, I'm a, I'm a woman. Female mm. leadership is collaborative. Like, of course I have an opinion, but I want us to work together on this. Right. And so having society see that as a positive as opposed to a negative is another thing that I think by remaining uh, like a powerful female leader, we can shift that narrative as opposed to me thinking that being aggressive and cutting people off is leadership because right. that's not, it doesn't work. I like that. That's I, I always like Michael Lewis's comment about that leadership, like accidental success. People who just find themselves in leadership roles really believe that they deserve all that, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they don't share it. Even, even if wholly by accident, they are appointed <laughs> to a position. And I think they gave some sort of study that I won't get into now that, that, that confirmed that. How has the business evolved? Where is it at now? Um, and how, how, how have you scaled it? What, what schools mm-hmm. are you in and wh- where else are you? So we are now on 30 universities. We've scaled um, almost like a franchise model. So even though we have a very, very small staff here in L.A., each chapter is really run self-sufficiently. There's this awesome book called The Starfish and the Spider, and it talks about how you can either build a starfish, which if you chop it in half, chop off an arm, not only will it survive, but those arms will regrow. But if you're a spider... uh, like a huge corporation that has shareholders and on-the-ground people and all these things, and everything is related, right? You hit a couple of the spider's legs or you poke some of its eyes out, everything falls to pieces. Our organization is built in a way where if I quit tomorrow, our programming would continue to run because we've gotten people on the ground invested. They're they're their own arms. Um, And so for that reason, we really believe that scale is, like, right on the horizon. In fact, we're working on some legislation. We had a state assemblywoman call us and say, you know, I was a professor. I saw how much your program helped our students. And now that I'm elected, I'm going to write a bill about this. And so I've been to Sacramento a bunch in the past few weeks. We uh, passed committee and now are about to be, hopefully, in a couple weeks, voted and then signed by the governor. And this will be our hockey stick. We're 146 universities Mm. will be incentivized to adopt our program. So this is like, yeah, just about jumping on opportunity now. And you've raised, how much money have you raised? A couple hundred thousand dollars. So we are very lean. What we do is actually leverage the money that schools already have on meal plans. Mm -hmm. So in, in essence... We're a consulting agency that consults schools on how to establish this program, how to best use it, and really tap into the resources that exist. So we don't need to raise that much, right? Every dollar that we raise, like, motivates and catalyzes $7 on the ground. Pays the staff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and then what the staff does is really tap into the money in the outside Mm -hmm. world on these university campuses. Uh, Do you have plans to go outside of schools? Um, not yet. We do have plans to go outside of the U.S., but really our objective is to solve the problem, right? They're hungry students, and then you have amazing dining halls right down the street, right? So how do we build a society where the university feels 
some sense of responsibility to take care of all their students, make sure everyone has access to food. And it's a great entry for people in university to get involved in this kind of oh thing. Oh my God, a, yeah. That is as feel good as it gets. Totally. Right? I mean, like, everyone's always asking you for money. Yeah. You get to give something Here's away. something that you can do if no money as a student. Exactly. You could just swipe a couple meals exactly. to someone who, who needs it. Um, you've said before that, you know, you you strike me as somebody that would look and seek advice from people and, you know, make good contacts and network. But you've said you shouldn't take all the advice that you get, mm-hmm. right? So what do you mm-hmm. mean by that? Um, hmm. People say things with intention, right? The intention isn't always to give you advice. The intention might be they have this great story to tell you and now's the time they're going to tell you it in the middle of you asking for advice. So I think the biggest... I think the biggest thing that's helped me in those moments is understanding the person first. So asking the right questions, getting a sense of who they are, where they come from, what drives them. And then when they give you advice that um, might be really focused in one industry, it's because they really want to be there or they have a lot of connections there. And that's where they're coming from. So the more you can understand an individual, the better you get at reading people and getting to know them, the more you can understand the weight or the value of their advice or just more context around it. And then you can decide if it matches up with yours. Right. Yeah. Or you can ask a follow-up. My favorite follow-up question after someone gives me advice is, great, can you introduce me to someone there? Or what do you think, what would you do next after that if you were to take that advice? Uh, and then it's a whole different conversation. And you can also make it about them and not say very much. Oh, yeah. I that's, mean, that's, that's one really of the greatest valuable. skills in L.A. I mean, that's, yeah. that's literally how I met people in L.A. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> by just going really, and then what did you do with your life? And, and they then what did feel you do? So connected. And they go, Steve's to you. great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've said nothing. Exactly. Exactly. What, what have you? Um, I want to ask. Are you? When you think, do you meditate? I do, but I mean, I do meditate in like moments where I need it. Probably like five to ten minutes a day, but it happens. Um, while I'm driving, I just need to like pull over and recollect myself. I was going to say, or, don't meditate. Well, yeah, no, no. I, I literally did it. I missed, I missed there, Crenshaw, and I almost went <laughs> like stack into the wall. There is, but I had like, a guided meditation. There is mindful meditation where, like, you, I don't know. One of my favorites is if I can't close my eyes necessarily because that looks weird. But I feel yeah. like I need to like in the moment really close lower myself. your gaze. <laughs> That's what they say. Lower your gaze. But even I mean, like, focusing. and they go, it's not a mistake. It's not a failure. <laughs> Your mind is going, no, right. Absolutely. There's no way to incorrectly meditate. Yeah. So my, one of my favorite things to do is uh, pick up on the sounds around me, pick up, like, checking with my body. So I don't need to close my eyes for these things. You do it's, the body scan. Do the body scan. Um, those things, like, completely check me in. I'll also say that um, I did a pitch in 2014 that got us a ton of money. And the reason why... SVP? SVP, Social mm-hmm. Venture Partners. If you are a young nonprofit anywhere in America, check out Social Venture Partners. They have an epic fast-pitch competition. I saw it. I saw your presentation. Did you watch yeah, it? It's it was one of excellent. my favorites. I have this beautiful hand gesture swipe at the end. After that, <laughs> I do it in every pitch. It really closes it really nicely. You were very prepared. There was a lot of... The gesticulation was on point. Thank you. Um, a couple weeks before that pitch, I started doing breathwork meditation. And I did a couple deep, deep breaths before yeah. I went up there, and that was the game changer. Yeah. That's in- I asked about the meditation because uh, I meditate, and it's, I found it very helpful. But it's helpful when you're – what are the problems that you bump into most frequently that would necessitate stepping back, being mindful of 
where I'm at right now so yeah. that I'm not as reactive and upset. What are the things that upset you in, in your in your work? I think it's about knowing what those triggers are. So the moment I see my coworker Marissa like look a little bit like frazzled because I'm not speaking clearly or I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, oh wait, like if the people around me are kind of like feeling if I don't feel good about how they're feeling, that means I need to check in with myself. They feed off your energy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's, uh, a, you know, I, that's right? what I'm learning too. Yeah. Totally. You got to be mindful of the people around you and what they feed you uh, and pick up on that. Um, or whenever I feel like super overwhelmed, like there's just a million things to do, but at the same time, I can't really pick one to start on. And you do nothing. And I do nothing. Yeah. I like <laughs> circle around. I like start 10 <laughs> emails or like three proposals and never yeah. finish anything. So just, like, checking in and reminding myself, like, remind yourself of the three most important things. I think, like, Tim Ferriss said this in a podcast years ago, but, like, make a list of, like, five things you want to do that day and then pick the three that if you do, you'll feel really good about. Right. Circle those and move from there. That's my whole notebook That's, like, here's lists. literally my, yeah. Literally yeah, yeah. lists. That's all I do. I don't actually work. I just make lists. And you're still doing something. Yeah, so maybe that's I'm, the trick. Yeah. I can't even read, <laughs> I can't even read what I wrote. Um, but anyways, it's on the list. Uh, exactly. Are you doing any marketing right now actively for swipes? Are you out Are you out anywhere? Are you, where, where do you get the word out? We are always out there. Um, it's kind of amazing. We've been around for six years now, seven years almost. And still, every month between five and six, seven schools reached out to us asking to start our program consistently. I've never had to go out and ask people to start our program. People just want it. And we asked them, how did you hear about us? And half of them are like word of mouth or they see something online or just like natural organic output. And then a third of like the the other half-ish, about a third of those are people who had this idea on their own, right? Students or even administrators who are like, there's so many dollars in these meal plans and they Google it and then here we come. Or now even more so, it's schools who want to address hunger on campus and don't know what to do or how to start and where they're channeling. And I think that's where, I mean, that's what keeps me up at night. The idea that there's some school out there who heard that ending hunger on campus is a big deal now. So they're going to try and start a program but have no idea how and do it really ineffectively. And here we are with like six years of wisdom and experience and best practices waiting to support schools. Right. So I think that's where marketing, we're stepping it up now to really capture that attention. When you get to a point and, and you, you let's say you have a goal and you meet it, are you happy? Or are you thinking, oh, we have all these other places that we need to get to? <laughs> um, one of my old coworkers, every time we had a big success, I would be happy for maybe three or four minutes and then immediately get back to work. Right. So she made me, um, every time there was a win, we would have to like write it down and like choose some way of celebrating it. Um, yeah, so I think like joy is very ephemeral for me. It's very fleeting. Um, and I have to intentionally celebrate it because it's good to acknowledge how far you've come or, or progress you have, but there's always going to be work to do. Totally. No, that's yeah. part of checking in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And totally. then fi- where do you want to go? I mean, what, what is there that you would want to be doing that you're not doing? Um, we would want to have shifted the norm. Like how can schools really see their responsibility to their students or as they hire contractors to come in and run their food services on campus, how do they ask that contractor to think about the needs of all of their students and make sure they have, um, one of our, so, so like I mentioned, we collect money from students' meal plans. What happens to that money? 
three main things. One is those dollars are credited to other students, to their accounts who are in need, so they can enter the dining hall and have an amazing, warm, healthy meal, right, and feel like every other student. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we help fund food closets. There are now over 400 universities with literal pantries Pantries, on campus. And we uh, work with the school to provide food for them by just channeling these dollars. The school buys food at a very low cost and stocks it. And then finally, a lot of our schools continue to support the community. That's where we started. That's where we think uh, there's a lot of value in having students engage with the local community. But by far, students love meal swipes. Getting into the dining hall is a game to game changer for your whole week now now that it's been i don't know uh eight years has it been like seven seven years what is your relationship like with your alma mater <laughs> do they own it now or it's are they so still like um, a little touchy there's there's gonna be some good stuff coming out this summer um about our partnership with ucla what's, what's coming out well, I think I can talk about it. I don't know. <laughs> it's There's like, UCLA's always trying to market itself, and they really picked up our story um, in some of their marketing stuff this year. Okay. Yeah. There we go. That's good, yeah. UCLA. Own it. Thank you. That's yeah. Great. I should have been doing it from the beginning. Exactly. I actually had to send them an email. I was like, you, I like tried a couple sources. I mean, you know, we started this program, and we've done a lot of really good in the world. We keep saying we started at UCLA. You should leverage this. You should give us resources. You should yeah. connect us. So I think, um, yeah, it's all about partnerships, right? Own it. So who, Own it who and, 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 and have them pay for everything. <laughs> I think. <laughs> As you know. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes. Rachel, thank you so much. Uh, I Swipe Out Hunger is, is the name. Swipe Out Hunger is the name. Swipe Hunger is the website. All right. Thanks yeah. so much. And, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcastone.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.